Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 2, the gospel of Mark. And uh, we, we were going to start a series on January 8th, before we got snowed out. Uh, called A Year of Following Jesus. And so we're kind of kicking it off today. And what we're asking is this question, what does it mean in our moment to be the people of God today? And what would it look like to commit this year to listening to Jesus with a posture that says, I want to hear and obey you. Not hear, contemplate, read some commentaries, forget about what I wrote. Right and move on, but but as you are today, Jesus is ready for you to follow him, not to go off and get prepared somewhere and come back when you got it all figured out. But today, what transformation might Jesus bring to us? To your soul, to your neighbors, to your relationships, to work, money, time. Marriages, families, singleness, what would it look like? It is a worship question and it's an identity question. Who are we collectively and who are we individually as we follow Jesus together? And we're going to open the scriptures and, and walk through the life of Christ. And when I say we open the scriptures, I mean the Bible, which gives us access to, to the actions of God and the purposes of God and the character of God. It reveals to us as, as though through a doorway who this God is and what it looks like to follow him. And as we have created these epiphany booklets that are out there, if you don't have one, get one. They help us walk through this rhythm of reading the scriptures, hearing and obeying the words of Christ, giving you actions and commitments and ways to process, as well as this rhythm of gathering together to listen and to respond to his word. And so in this season of Epiphany, we're really looking at the ministry of Christ. And what is central to the ministry of Christ is the otherness of his focus. So even through saving justice as we're trying to discern, God, what does your kingdom look like now? We're asking questions. We're listening to, to voices, for, for some of us, voices other than we're used to, so that we can hear and gain perspective and try to discern, God, what does your kingdom look like here? What does it look like now? And if we were to follow Jesus through the course of his life, we'd realize that he is moving towards people that we would often walk by. He is not ignoring the people who are on the margins of society in the same way that society ignores them. Particularly in his day, the, the people would have been uh, for whatever reason, very much present, but definitely off to the side. And in the mainstream were the people who were capable and able, people who could, could make something of themselves. 
And when God shows up in our flesh, in our story, when he moves in to our neighborhood, he intentionally moves towards those who society forgets. And today we're going to look at one of those stories and, and ask the question, what does it mean for me to hear and obey Jesus in this? It says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get in, him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so you can picture this scene, right? Jesus has come home, the house is full the crowds are overflowing and he's teaching. And there are these four men, these five friends, for whom one of them is paralyzed. How long he's been paralyzed or how he got paralyzed, we don't know much. But we know that something about that friendship moved them to say, we want to get our friend to Jesus. And so they take him to Jesus and they realize, look, there's no way to get in there. And then they start to hatch this plan. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that plan in a minute. But what we're looking at here is how does Jesus interact with the disabled? And we see this throughout his ministry. This isn't an isolated case. And I want to caution us, because I know that some of you are here today that are living with disabilities. Some of you have children that are, or family that is. And I have a disabled daughter. And so, as much as I'm a father preaching this message, I also want to be a pastor who is learning with you on this journey. And one of the things that that the culture that we live in, I don't think does a very good job of, is allowing the disabled, even the label itself means 
not able, allowing this population of people to be received as the gifts that they are. And we're really talking about what does it mean to be a human person? What does personhood mean in our society? And the truth is that most of us consider our own personhood as being developed through our achievements, our attractiveness, whether that's because of what I did or because of how I look or because of who I am, that through what I can achieve and through whom I can attract, I develop this sense of personhood. That happens as much in the church as it does in society. And yet as followers of Jesus, we are called to understand that personhood exists because we bear the imago Dei, the image of God. Every single person on earth bears the image of God. And that image is not an image that is simply developed because of what you can achieve or produce or how effective you are, the question becomes then what is that image? What does it mean to bear that in an image? And what does it mean for the people of God to see it and to honor it and to receive it? One of the first things you see in this passage is this gift of human friendship. That you have these friends of this man and the man is a friend to them. And in actuality, this is a very blessed group of people because most people with disabilities, especially intellectual disabilities, are lonely people. They don't have friends. They have difficulty making friendships. In fact, one author observing that with all the disability acts that have come into play since the 70s, there's access and there's equity and there's you know, opportunity, but the main connecting point is loneliness. And we haven't really addressed that. But this man has the privilege of having these friends and they have the privilege of being friends with him. And you see this friendship shows up in intimacy. They, they carry him in his need. They have this persistent love, right? They made a decision to enter into his suffering, to bear the burden with him. And so you have this crowd and it's too big and then they hatch this plan and the plan is we're gonna tear the roof off this place. Which if you're the guy on the mat, you're like, okay, hold up. Let's think of like maybe, the, is there a back door we could try, right? Before you like lower me down. And if that goes bad, I just land in front of Jesus. Like, hey, what's up? Sorry for the rude entrance. And what scripture says, when Jesus sees this, he commends the friends for their faith. He heals the man for their faith. It is a faith that is motivated by that true friendship, that connection of love that said, we are here to care for our friend, to bring him to Jesus. 
And the disabled are rarely chosen as friends, except by other disabled people at times. Most intellectually disabled adults have parents that care for them and they are in their caregivers or their clients to someone. But in this culture, you have this picture where there is a strong commitment to enter into each other's lives, to be included in their lives by choice. And the thing about friendship is that friendship appreciates the other. No other relationships can do this quite the same. A friendship goes beyond rights, beyond success or opportunities. It is to be chosen. Someone chose you as a friend. You chose someone else as a friend. It is the the giving of yourself to another. And there's personal intimacy involved in that. And that intimacy is the greatest human need. Imagine right now if you had no friends. And some of you here may not have to imagine. And yet friendship goes both ways. The assumption is that these friends are the hero and this guy is just needy. But the reality is that friendship with a disabled person has something to offer us. For those four men, they would not have encountered Jesus if it wasn't for their friend's need. And you and I can encounter Jesus too when we enter into other people's lives in this way. What it it means is that the person wasn't a person with need, but they were first a person. And because they had a relationship with the person, then the need was something they could enter into. They weren't, he wasn't a project right? He wasn't someone to fix. He was a friend first. And as they built this relationship with him, he gave them the gift of his friendship. And through that developed intimacy and compassion, he led them to Jesus as much as they led him. Experiencing God Saving you from your illusions, from our illusions of what it means to be a human person. Saving us from the illusion that to be functional means to do certain things and to have certain competencies. And then to be arrogant enough to think that we develop those ourselves. But to experience a person with a name not a label, not a diagnosis. It's not he's on this spectrum or she has this disorder. No, they have names. They're people, they're human persons. And we then, by this relationship, we get a new definition of what it means to be human. 
think about this. If all it means to be human is the ability to achieve, to attract, to perform, to produce, isn't there plenty of people who have those abilities and become less and less human? Who have gained great wealth and great power but have ceased to be kind, to be loving, to be other-centered? If what it meant to be human was the achievement of those things, wouldn't we see an incredibly evolved, compassionate, and kind culture? But it's not exactly what we see. And so maybe that the ultimate good of being human, the ultimate bearing of the image, is the ability to belong the ability to be chosen as a friend, the ability to choose another as a friend. Jean Vanier, who started uh, communities for, uh, for disabled, mentally disabled adults, but doesn't define it as such. He says, this is a community of people. And there are, there are, uh, people who come to provide care, but while they're together, they are just seen as friends. And so all the labels are detached. There is uh, an acknowledgement that you're going to provide care and this person is going to provide you with the gift of themselves. And they've developed these homes. There's one here in Portland and they are these beautiful witnesses that another world is possible and another way of being human is possible. But Jean Vanier tells the story of this reporter who comes in and he sees a man who is, um, who is unable to walk, who can't feed himself, who crawls. He's in his 30s, he can't speak. And the man is becoming angry, angry with God, trying to understand how in the world God is in this place and almost going to bat for this gentleman with, uh, against all the injustices that his disability, so-called, affects him with. And Jean Vanier sits there and he says, and he has this really soft accent, and he says, he was so angry, he was so upset. But I asked him who he was talking about. And he described the person. He says, oh, that's Walter. He's just Walter. And Walter's not mad or upset. Walter's happy. It seems to me you're having a problem, right, being human in this moment. And the guy's like, what? What, what do I do with that? And so he left. <laughs> but the point is that Jean Vanier didn't see an injustice or a project or a defect he saw Walter as Walter was. And the gift of Walter that was given to Jean Vanier was his friendship. And people with intellectual disabilities have great amounts of love to give. Well, we the church, right? We of all people should be the hospitable people that can extend friendship and belonging to people. We can choose people because we were chosen by God. 
We were ones that know what it means to be chosen, to be extended the friendship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to be given the unconditional love of God. The very essence of our faith is not that we had the ability to make God like us, that we were functional enough that he got involved. It was that we came deep with need, an inability to save ourselves, And God invited us not to become achievers and attractors, but to be his friend by initiating friendship with us, that we would belong to him for the purpose of intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And that is the gift that we receive from our friends our disabled friends, so to speak. Well, Jesus is the forgiver and the healer of this man. Underneath his paralyzation was a heart in need of forgiveness, a a life that needed to be reconciled with God. It's an odd response to a request for healing when he says your sins are forgiven. If you go to the doctor and say, hey, I broke my arm, and he says, your sins are forgiven. You'd be like, awesome, can I get a cast or something? Can we do, do you do an, have an x-ray thing? I'd like one of those. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking this opportunity to reveal that his power is not only to heal, but there is a greater power to actually reconcile the heart, to forgive us of sin, to bring us into friendship with God. The man is physically healed and spiritually reconciled. And so he gets up and he takes his mat and he walks out. And the crowd is saying, we have never seen anything like this. And to us, what the scriptures reveal is that this is your God, right? This is your God. And yet it's interesting that the religious folks kind of miss the whole thing. Because they have a job to do. They're doing something. They're making sure that, that in their vocation of religious leadership that no one is messing anything up. And Jesus comes in here and he starts messing things up. And we look at him and, he, and they miss completely the miracle. They miss this man and his need because they're going, they're busy about their work. Making sure that nobody goes out of line. And Jesus has crossed the line. And it's quick. We can be quick to kind of judge that. But the truth is, how many times have you been too busy doing all the things you're supposed to do? How many times have I been too busy? Because, hey, I'm important building up my human person with my abilities, with the things that I'm going to do that make me more attractive to other people so that my social media account, whatever it is, right, I'm doing something, I'm going somewhere. And let's be honest, those kind of friends, they can slow you down. It's easy to be hard on the rulers and the leaders, but we've been them. And what that means is that we've missed Christ, we've missed the miracle, we've missed the friendship that he offers. 
This is your God. The one who forgives and the one who heals. When I think about this passage and I think about it for us, the question that strikes me is what does it mean to be a friend who literally tears the roof off for another? To not just be able to give lip service to friendship, but to be intimately involved in their life so much so that your compassion begins to bear their burden and you're going, I am going to tear the roof off for you. I'm going to bring you to Jesus and you're bringing me to Jesus in this reciprocal way. There's truth in the fact that for many of you as parents, You've ripped the roof off, only to find that God wasn't down there ready to heal. And so in this relationship, you struggle with disappointment with God and why God and why he's not doing. He sees and he knows, but he's not quite concerned with all the things I want to get done for my daughter or for your son or for your friend. And God provides really these gifts to our society. Gifts that if he came through and healed and made everybody equal and everybody able, quote unquote, then we would miss a whole bunch of things that we're supposed to unlearn. That society's defined us in ways around abilities that has actually stripped the Imago Dei from its essence which means to belong, to belong, to be in friendship with one another, to learn what it means to truly love without it becoming a transactional thing, to be transformed by love. There is a father who has a young daughter who was severely affected with, at a young age and left through a disease unable to speak or walk or talk. And as he reflects upon caring for her over the years, he says this, he says, I need her more than she needs me. Jessica has taught me what true love is. Poets and preachers and young lovers and idealists have professed a knowledge of this elusive concept for years. But in Jessica's silence, I have learned the real essence of love. You give everything and expect nothing in return because the joy of loving her is its own reward. That is the heart of a transformed man, right? That is a man who has learned something from the gift of relationship he has with his daughter. A a gift that includes grief and loss and a lot of what ifs, but in the midst of it, God transforms him. God gives him his very own heart. Because when God loves you, I think he loves you exactly that way. 
not because there's something he's going to get out of it from us, but because the gift of loving you is the reward itself. Jesus is your king. And he's a king that actually has given up his abilities. He's a king that wasn't lowered down but was raised up on a cross. A king who bore the rejection of the world, who bore its sin and its brokenness so that you could be chosen as God's friend. Which means that in that choosing, you're also invited to extend that friendship to others who, like Jesus, the world is not worthy of. But they fit perfectly in his kingdom, bearing his image. We are made in that image. And our brothers and our sisters who don't have the same abilities that we do, no matter how, you know, how affected they may be, they contain the power to transform you by love. They have so much love to give you. And so today I invite you to this table, a table of costly love. A table where Jesus said, I will be the one who gives my life to bear the cost of their brokenness. For the sheer pleasure of loving them as my child and as my friend. And I think there are a lot of people in our lives who would make the kind of friend that would help you understand that better if you would just reach out and choose them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your mercy. I wanna pray especially today for the parents and the, and the siblings and for the brothers and sisters among us who do suffer, God, in this way. And I thank you for these unwanted gifts, the deep value that you have placed in our lives through these wonderful people that we can call by name, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend. God, would you help to strip away society's labels and definitions? And would you let us be mentored by them? Would you use them to bring us to Jesus, God, so that we can know along with them what it means to be chosen to be a friend as those who you have chosen to be yours. Would you bring great healing, God, today in the hundreds and hundreds of lives of those who suffer 
and who are disappointed, who continue to tear off the roof. I pray that you would meet them in that intimacy that brings healing. For we have much to learn from our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.